grateful for technology that allows us to connect um, with people who are far and near. But I'm also just grateful for God. Um, what a blessing to have the God that we have. What a grace to know the God that we know. What a joy to be loved by our God. Um, this morning, as I said earlier, we're kind of doing a, the finale, if you will, of our Following the Commands of Christ series. In this um, finale, or in this whole series, we've kind of planted it on two pillars. The first pillar we've planted it on is the fact that Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, then he's the one we follow. He's the one we submit to. He is the one that we look at his life as our example to live. When he asks us to do stuff, we do it because we're saying he is Lord of our lives. The second pillar is that this Lord of our life is also the source. So if we want to know what it is to please God or how to live to please God, it makes sense that we go to to the ultimate source, who is Jesus Christ. Now, we've done 11, I believe, um, different commands so far, and there's more, um, but we've looked at the call to repent. We've looked at the call that Jesus has to follow me, um, to be salt and light, to love our neighbors, the Great Commission, which invites us to go and make disciples of the nations, make disciples of your world, locally, nationally, internationally. And how do you do it? You do it simply by teaching them everything that God has taught you. We looked at the call to be graceful, to love our enemies, to live to store treasures in heaven, not to worry, to serve to please God, to pray to please God. And this morning, maybe quite appropriately, will end with Jesus' command and Jesus' model and Jesus' call for us to give thanks. Now, I say it's appropriate because for those of us here in the States, this is Thanksgiving week. And it doesn't matter, you know, I, I consider myself the chief cynic. It doesn't matter how cynical you are. You have to stop and at least appreciate that the entire world, at least in America for this week, stops to give thanks. And I think as much as I've learned in 2020 is, we need to take any win we could get. You know, if you think something's a win and it's a positive, take it, right? That's what I've learned from 2020. So it doesn't matter how cynical you are about the world stopping for Thanksgiving, just the fact that they stop to give thanks is a blessing. But I do think that those of us who consider ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus, it's a little bit more deeper than that for us. The idea of giving thanks isn't just that, oh, we stop to give thanks. Because as Christians, it's important that we remember who we're giving thanks to, we remember what we're giving thanks for, and we actually make sure our thanksgiving is directed towards God. So it's not just arbitrary stop and give thanks. No, it's who are you giving thanks to? What has he done for you? And how are you remembering the blessing of what God's given you? Um, I was reminded this week of a Vietnamese proverb that goes like this. When eating fruit, remember the one who planted the tree. And I think that's the heart of Christian thanksgiving, right? Not only acknowledging the blessings, but actually remembering the one who gifted you all those blessings. We give thanks this morning, like the psalmist said and Pastor Bree read earlier, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And my prayer is that this isn't just a song that the psalmist sings, but this is a song that our lives live, that our lives scream, that the sound that comes out from our lives is that we give thanks to the Lord. For he is faithful, for he is good, for he is merciful, for he is compassionate, for he is good and his love endures forever. The second part of Christian thanksgiving isn't just stopping to say give thanks to God for what he's done, but it is a command to actually not just this week, 
not just this time of year, not just when we get the turkey, if we eat turkey in front of us, right? There's a command actually to give thanks all the time. Give thanks in every single season. Give thanks in all of life. Pastor and author John Mark Comer, looking at a famous passage in Philippians 4, 4 to 7, says, when I read that passage, the first thing I'm reminded of is that God calls us to surrender, which I think is amazing because we live for control. I think it's amazing because we live to have everything under our power, our control. And here's the thing that I've learned. All of us struggle with control. There's only some of us that admit we struggle with control. But I think it's funny that one of the calls of God is to surrender, even though our natural reaction is to control. God calls us to surrender. God calls us to give thanks. And then God calls us to focus on what is good. And what is better than our Jesus Christ? Nothing. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says it like this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of us grow up or are in the faith now or asking, what is God's will for me? What is God's will for me? And it's this arbitrary, you know, thing, that intangible thing we can't get our arms around, right? Paul says it simply. You want to know God's will? Rejoice always. If you belong to God, your life should be a life of joy that people see the light in you. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That is God's will for you. If you want to know what God's will is, there it is. Rejoice. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. So that's how we ended up with this command to give thanks. One thing I've learned about our passage we'll be reading, if you have your Bibles, will be in Matthew 14, 13 to 21. We'll also have it up here on the screen. But one of the things I've learned and really appreciate about this call and command to give thanks is our Lord Jesus himself embodied it and lived it. So it's not just that he asks us to do it, but that he perfectly models it. And that's why we turn to Jesus. When you look at all these leaders of all the other religions, you end up to a point where you said, man, they are all asking me not to be like them. Jesus is the only one who invites us to be like him, and he's actually worth following. I think that's amazing about our Jesus. I think that's what sets him apart. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for the blessing of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the blessing of this body of Christ, this community, this family of faith. Lord, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, which lives inside of us, which transforms us, which opens our eyes and opens our hearts. And Lord, yes, even open our lives to you. So now, Lord, as we pray and, and as we look at this story of thanksgiving, may we be reminded that our Jesus is Lord, that our Jesus is the source from which we go to learn, and that our Jesus is the one who not only models thanksgiving, but shows us how to live a life of thanksgiving and shows us the fruit of that thankful life. Lord, be with us now as we continue in your word. In your holy and precious name, amen. Uh, in Matthew 14, 13 to 21, we read this, starting in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to their villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, 
They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and, and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. One of the things that we've been learning and actually being reminded of in this entire series is that our Jesus says, follow me as I follow God. Live and love like me to know how to follow God. The essence of what Jesus seems to be consistently asking us is to stop only looking at yourselves. Stop only looking at others. Stop only looking at your world around you. All these things you can't control. You can't barely control yourself. You definitely can't control others. And you certainly can't control your world. Stop looking everywhere else and start looking at me. If you want to look, look at me. Look to me and then do the work of looking like me. Jesus is calling us and inviting us to follow him by looking at him as the example but like I said a little bit earlier, the joy for me in this passage is that Jesus models thanksgiving for us. One thing we forget about this feeding of the 5,000 is it comes with Jesus in grief. It comes with our Lord struggling, I would say. It comes with our Lord reeling, I would say. It comes with something that's very easy for us to gloss over. Because earlier in Matthew 14, what happens is that we learn that John the Baptist has been unjustly executed by the state. You have to remember who John the Baptist was. He wasn't just a great prophet, you know? He wasn't just a weird guy who ate bugs and wore funny clothes. John the Baptist was, in many ways, a mentor to Jesus. John the Baptist, in many ways, was the one who baptized him and ushered him into the ministry. John the Baptist, in many ways, had the first followers who became Jesus' followers. John the Baptist was a cousin who probably more closely grew up like an older brother to Jesus. We have to understand what's happening in the story. Before you get to the miracle of the 5,000, you have to realize that Jesus is grieving. And yes, we've seen Jesus weep before. You know, I talked about my family devotions. One of my favorite verses was, you know, was it John eleven thirty five? 35? Jesus wept, right? That was the background one where you know you didn't have anything. You had those two words to say, and then you had your verse for the week, right? We've seen Jesus weep before with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. We've seen Jesus lament over Jerusalem because of their lack of belief. He says, man, I wish I could collect you like a mother collects her hand. I wish I could love you and you can accept my love, Jerusalem, but you have betrayed me. And because you haven't accepted my love, Jerusalem, you will fall. We've seen our Lord weep before. But in this story, after hearing news from the disciples of John that John had been executed, all Jesus wants is to be alone. When Jesus heard what had happened to John, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, a quick word about John and why he was executed, because I think this has a lot to say to us. John dared to look at those in political power and say, you are not living right. 
John dared to look at those in political power and says, you are not the one we are to follow. John dared to say, your life matters. And if your life is not morally right, we will not follow you. John dared to look at political power and not submit to it, but to say, God is my example and that's who I follow. And they got him killed. John dared to look at Herod, not the one you're thinking of. We'll get to that one in Advent next week. There's a bunch of Herods, right? John dared to look at this Herod and say, you don't have the power. God has the power. But also, God cannot be mocked. Your life matters. Your lack of character matters. The fact that you had an affair with your brother's sister, that matters. The fact that you left your wife and you went to marry your brother's sister, that matters. You are not right. And when I see God's people following you, I will call it out because this is not right. And that got him killed. Herod had a party. At this party, he invited and separated, you know, and when we, not we, I wasn't there, but when the archaeologists did the, the digging of Herod's piles, they found that there was two dining rooms. So we believe that the men were all getting drunk and, and partying and eating on one side, and the women were on the other side. And I think Matthew is actually trying to make us feel icky about this. Like, Matthew wants to know that everything that's happening with John's execution is completely messed up. And I think that's a reminder to us, because even in our culture, we're still too okay with death. We're still too okay with death. How many times do we read about death in the newspaper and it's just like, oh, okay, that was sad. How many times does our country go to war and we think, oh man, let's pray for the troops, but we don't realize that we're inviting not only our troops to die, but people on the other side to be killed. How many times do we as Christians live in a country that still allows capital punishment? that still allows killing people to somehow show us that killing people is wrong. Matthew wants you to feel icky about this whole situation because he says a bunch of these powerful guys were in their room getting drunk. And in the middle of this, they get this little girl. And that's the, what the Greek tells us, right? You can use your imagination for how old you think she is. But they get this little girl who happens to be Herod's stepdaughter now. And, and she comes and they make her dance in front of her in front of them while she's drunk. And they're so smitten by her and they're so wrapped up in their lust and their drunkenness that Herod says, listen, anything you want, I will give it to you. Anything you want. What's interesting is that Herod, like our political leaders, don't really have all the power. <laughs> Herod was a puppet of Rome. He had no power, but he was so drunk and so involved in this lust that he said, I'll give you everything. And the little girl didn't know what to say. So she goes back to the other room to her mom, who remembered <laughs> that John the Baptist had said what she did was wrong, who had a vengeance against John the Baptist. So she tells her teenage daughter, go back to Herod and tell him I want the head of John the Baptist. And that's why John gets executed. And that's what Jesus is facing. And that's the news that he hears. And that's why he wants to be alone. I was reminded this week of my cousin Tony. My cousin Tony was, um, uh, uh, he meant a lot to me. Uh, my cousin Tony came from Liberia when he was about 15 or 16, and I moved back to Philly because their family was huge and they were moving in with my mom, and I was like, I'll help, you know. 
And it was about six kids in the family, but, you know, I don't do this with my own kids, but they had six kids, so I picked my favorite, you know? Like, you're not supposed to do that with your kids, but you can do that with other people's kids. That's fine. You can have favorites with other people's kids. And, and Tony was my favorite. And the reason he was my favorite was because it wasn't just because he was brilliant and he was smart, but it's because he just loved God. And his love of God just radiated through. And we, even as adults, learned from him what it meant to love and follow God. And this is a kid who had seen everything. He had actually, you know, I was blessed to leave Liberia before the war and the shooting started. He had lived through all of this and still had the joy of the Lord. I remember when he first got sick, I took him to the hospital, and it was me. I took him to the hospital. I stood there as the parent, if you will, went through, got all the information from the doctors, and, and they told us he was doing okay after the surgery. And I still remember the day, because I was actually living in Philly, but I was meeting friends here in Harrisburg. I remember leaving work early, and I had this strong sense and this strong feeling that, hey, you should go see Tony today. And I remember thinking to myself, no, it's fine. I'll be back Saturday. I can go see him Saturday afternoon or even Monday when I get back on the way to work. It's not a big deal. He's in the hospital anyway. So I come to Harrisburg. Uh, it's 2007, I think spring 2007. And uh, my phone's ringing. It's my mom. And, and my mom, God bless her, but she'll call me for anything, like literally anything, you know? Like I haven't lived with my mom for almost 20 years. And, and she'll be like, where's my red dress? And I'm like, really? Like of all the things that you have on your worry, like I need to know where your red dress is, you know? So I looked at my phone. I was like, ah, she'll call back later when there's something else. Maybe she needs the blue dress now. Um, then she called again and again and again. And we were out to dinner, and then we were out to a concert. It was really, really loud. And, and finally, I saw 10 calls. I was like, oh, this has got to be important. So I remember standing in the middle of this concert, and I think the concert is actually a Messiah. And I remember standing in the middle and listening to the voicemail where she told me, you have to come home now. Tony's passed away. And I remember being in this room, this crowded room of maybe thousands of people, and all I wanted was to be alone. That's all Jesus wanted. But that's not what the crowd wanted. <laughs> Jesus is reeling. Jesus is grieving. And they see him drawing to a solitary place. So they look around and say, okay, cool. This lake ain't that big, you know. He can only go over there. That's the point he's going to. So we're going to what? We're going to pack it all up. We're going to walk all the way on the other side. And we're going to meet him over there. Jesus is grieving. Jesus wants to be alone. The crowd follows him on foot. They go away from the towns to this remote solitary place. But I'm thankful for Jesus because when he lands, when he sees the crowd, he doesn't make the focus on him and what he's going through. Our Lord stops in the middle of his grief and heals their sick and shows mercy and shows grace and shows compassion. Our Jesus serves even when it's hard. That's something to give thanks for. That Jesus serves even when it's hard. And I think that means not just when it's hard for us, but even when it's hard for him too. What a model. What an example. That's how we are to live. That's what a thankful life looks like. That Jesus serves even when it's hard. We give thanks because there's going to be times where disciples or, or those who say they're followers of Jesus would rather push away others or forget about others. There's going to be times where people who call the name of Jesus will say, well, they can do it themselves. We have a sin in this country of telling lies and being okay with it. And one of the greatest lies in this country is we really believe in self-sufficiency, and it's a lie. We believe in self-sufficiency a little too much 
that if you just put your head down, you work hard by yourself, you will do it. And that's a lie because here's the truth. None of us are who we are without God and without the people who've invested in us. None of us did this on our own. I don't care what you've accomplished in life. God blessed you with the gifts. God blessed you with the opportunities. God blessed you with the support. God gave you people in your life either to invest in you or to tell you to look at as to follow their example. None of us did this on our own. That's a lie, and I would say it's from the pit of hell because if Satan gets you to believe that you did it all by yourself, then you become the God and not Jesus Christ. And I think that sometimes that we as Christians believe that lie of self-sufficiency instead of running to those who are hurting, instead of loving those who need love, instead of bandaging wounds, we say, well, how come they hurt themselves? How come they can't do it? I did it. That is not, that might be Americanism. But that's not Christianity. Our job isn't to figure out how come they hurt themselves. Our job is to heal the broken, to go into the dark, to be the light. That's our job. And I love that Jesus looks at his own disciples who are saying, we got a little bit of food, but like they ran away from the towns and all the shops are closed and there's like 5,000 of them. Like, can't they get their own food? Can't they figure it out? We got ours. Can't they get theirs? I love that Jesus says, no, we all need God and we need each other. You feed them. And even when the Christians, when the disciples make the excuse, Jesus says, what? I will feed them. What do we have? And then you see what they had. Twelve disciples. Now, I'm not sure if the disciples had their own lunch or not, right? I think it's interesting that 12 baskets show up. But when Jesus asked what they had, what they say they had, five loaves, two fish, one lunch. So where did the 12 baskets show up from? Right? Like, just think about that for a second. Like, where did the 12 baskets show up from? Like, the people, 5,000 people, 12 baskets, that doesn't, the math doesn't add up, right? So did the disciples have 12 baskets? And if they did, how come in those 12 baskets, there's only five loaves and two fish? And how come in those 12 baskets with the five loaves and two fish, the 12 disciples either had nothing or maybe they had something and they weren't willing to give that something to Jesus. And maybe they were willing to let someone else give their lunch. And maybe they were willing to say, okay, 5,000 people, what do you got? As they hid away their baskets. But I love and I'm thankful to Jesus because if what we have, no matter how big or how small, if what we have, if we fully offer it to God, it's always enough. It's always enough. And Jesus invites us not to hold on to or hide away our baskets, but to open our hands and to open our hearts and to hopefully open our eyes because what we have, if we offer it to God, it's always enough. And then Jesus himself gives thanks. This is for me almost existential. The closest I feel about this is Jesus getting baptized, right? It's just like, oh my gosh, he's the God of this world. I understand John the Baptist more than I understand Jesus. Like, how do you baptize Jesus? <laughs> you know, like, how do you baptize the son of God and be like, come here, let me do this. You know, like, Jesus stops to give thanks. And for me, that's really convicting. Because if Jesus can give thanks, how come I cannot? If Jesus can give thanks, why 
do I not? If his life is a life of fruit of thanksgiving, why is my life not? So Jesus lifts it up. He gives thanks. And then the manna assembly line happens. Now, I grew up thinking, man, there's 5,000 people. That's a lot of people. But why is it not the women and children? So was it 10,000? Was it 12,000? It might have been. But there's some people who actually believe that the people thought Jesus as king was getting ready to go to war against Herod. So that's why the women stayed behind in the towns and villages and that they were actually getting ready to say, we are your army to go into war. And I love that if that's true, if it was only men who were ready to fight, Jesus shows them it's not about fighting for what you think the kingdom is. It's about trusting God and leaning on God alone. It's not about what you think power is. It's about who you know that I am. And what a blessing that God's abundance always satisfies us and it always overflows. We may have a little, and if we give it to God, it's enough. But I love that our God's love is never little. I love that our God's provision is never small. I love that our God providing for us, it gives an abundance, and it satisfies, and it overflows. Leftovers for me at Thanksgiving is probably the best part of Thanksgiving meal, right? You got to do the math. You got to do a little science experiment. You got to move around the fridge a little bit. But if you portion it out right, you can have Thanksgiving for a whole nother week if you want. You know, you got to portion everything out right. There's always leftovers in my house, right? But I think that's the same about God's blessings. It's always new every morning. It's always available to you. Just like the sun rises every morning, God's love will always be there for you. Just like the sun goes down every night, God's love will always shine down upon you, rain down upon you. God's love is abundant, not just enough to feed 5,000, but to give them baskets full to go home. Not just for the disciples who may have taken their 12 baskets and hidden it away, but to say, you are not willing to love the way I need you to love, but I will still love you and give you my leftovers. My, 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 my buddy, Willie Shakes, you know him as Shakespeare, has this great line in Henry VI that I've been thinking about this week. In Henry VI, he said, which is a great play, by the way, I mean, a great name, Henry, you know that one? He says, O oh Lord, that lends me life, lend me a heart replete, or full, or abundant, with thankfulness. You've heard me say that in different ways around here. You've heard a bunch of us say that we are blessed to bless. We are graced to grace. We are loved to love. The same God who blesses us with the breath of life now calls and expects and commands us to go and give life to our world. The same God who graced us with grace now expects us to go out and grace our world. The same God who loves us now expects us to go out and love our world. And I'm thankful this morning that our model to do it is Jesus Christ. I'm also thankful that Jesus understands. I get it. This has been a hard, hard year for so many of us for so many reasons. But I'm thankful that there's nothing we can go through that God can't carry us through. 
I'm grateful that it's not just about me, about you, about us, but there's nothing you can go through that literally Jesus hasn't helped millions of people go through before. You should take comfort in that. It's not just, oh, God's with me, God's there. No, 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 no. God's already healed whatever you need healing from. God's already helped whatever you need help from. Whatever situation you're in, God has walked his people through. Give thanks and know you can trust him because God knows what you feel. He knows what you're going through. And better than knowing and then experiencing it, God has helped his people go through that too. Give thanks for who he is. I also think, though, that maybe the best way we can give thanks is by giving what we have. I think that's the challenge to all of us. What do I have to not only give thanks for, but what if Jesus was right? What if it's truly blessed to give or more blessed to give than to receive? What am I supposed to be offering up to God? Jesus' abundance that satisfies and overflows has to meet my little because my little can be used by God to do a lot. Now, I want to leave you with just some three or four practical things I think as we remember Thanksgiving, not only this week, but the rest of our lives, three or four things I think will be really, really helpful. The first one I actually got from um, Shell's side of our family. Uh, my first Thanksgiving with Shell's family, you know, they had all the food laid out, everything looked delicious, and they're like, now nah, let's share our Thanksgivings. I was like, well, yeah, pass the food. <laughs> like, that's how I share my Thanksgivings, I eat the food, right? Like, that's the whole point of Thanksgiving. And I remember, like, they're all like, no, 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 we just share one thing we're thankful for. And I was like, oh. Then I looked around the table, I was like, there's a lot of us. Like, we could have done this before we put the food out because now the food's going to be cold because there's a lot of us, right? But I've grown to really love this tradition. And I think all of us, no matter how big or small our table is, I think it's something we should all try to do this week. Make it a habit of giving thanks and saying just one thing you're thankful for before you dive into the meal. I think that'll actually bless and enrich your spirit more than your gut. Because your gut will be hungry again, especially by the afternoon or, or, or night. But your spirit will be filled. The second thing is, I know this is hard and we are lonely and we're depressed and we're tired. But I think if Jesus is right, that it's not just about only looking at myself, looking at others, looking at the world. If it's about looking to him to look like him then I think we got to push through. And I know this is hard for some of us, but we got to push through that loneliness. We got to push through that void. We got to push through that emptiness. Push through and reach out to someone else, anyone else. I think this week, no matter how lonely you feel, just think of one person, call, email, visit and talk through the screen if you need to, but just reach out to one person. Because I think there's something about loneliness that can only be cured by reaching out. I think there's something about my emptiness and my void that can only be healed by actually me forcing and pushing through and reaching out. So if you're thankful, be thankful, but make it a point this week. All I'm asking for is just reach out to one person. You don't have to call with an agenda. Just call to say, hello, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you, and that's it. The third thing I want us to do is find a way to give. Whatever that means for you, right? Whatever, whatever little that's on your plate, whatever little you got, find a way to give. Because I think Jesus is right. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 
So find something, some way that you are going to give this week. And the last one, I'd like to invite the worship team up too as we get ready to sing this last song. The last one I think is the most fun. I want you to write down seven things, right? If that's too hard, just write down one a day, but make sure it's different every day, right? I want you to write down seven things you're thankful for. And then I want you to pledge every day this week to just pray and give thanks to God for those seven things. If that's too much math or too complicated or too long, pick one a day, right? Write down seven and pick one a day and pray and thank God for those seven things. Because I believe in sharing our thanksgiving we are thankful people. In checking in on each other, we're thankful for each other. In finding ways to give, we honor our Jesus. And in praying and writing out our thanksgiving. And I know for some of us, it's too ancient to think about writing in a journal. So do what I do. Put it on your computer, right? But in writing out those thanksgivings and praying for them, you get to be reminded in your spirit and in your soul and in your mind and in your life that our God is good that our God is faithful, that our God is compassionate, that our God is merciful, that our God is true, and that our God loves you. I'd like to invite all of us to stand as we sing this last song. I'd like to also invite Pastor Woody and Pastor Carmen. They'll be up here for prayer. I'll stand there too. We'd love to pray for you for anything you've got going on. But as we sing this song, may we be reminded of the goodness of our dear God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing together. Running after, it's 
running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life. have been faithful all my life you have been so so good thank you lord with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of god i will sing i will sing of the goodness of God, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. As we just sang that song, talking about God's faithfulness, God's goodness that runs after us, I was reminded by the word David used in Psalms 23 about surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The word for follow there is redaf. And, and as a warrior, David uses this word because he says, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love will chase me down until I'm captured. I was reminded of a little prayer that's found in Anne Frank's diary that's held on all these years. And in that diary, she says, when I go to bed each night, I remember to thank you, God, for all that is good, for all that is dear, and for all that is beautiful. For us, that's our Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you will indeed chase all of us down until we're captured, that your love, which works for our good, will always be there and available to us, will always shine and pour down on us. Lord, we ask this morning that you fill us not only with thanksgiving, but with mercy, with compassion, with grace, with love. Lord, let us be so filled that it abundantly flows out of us and into others and into our world. Lord, we thank you this morning for our Jesus, who not only gave thanks, but model the life of thanksgiving and shows us what the fruit of a thankful life looks like. So Lord Jesus, our Christ, may you be our model, may you be our example, but most of all, in all things, may you be our Lord. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for chasing after all of us. And we thank you for capturing us. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. God bless you all. I'd like to invite you, um, we're going to have two X's that we're going to use, so we'd like to invite, maybe, we're trying to avoid the clog at the back, so where Pastor Linda is will be our middle, so if you're on this side, I'd like to invite you to use that exit, and if you're on that side, I'd like to invite you to use the back exit. Huh? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Please talk outside, we're trying to limit the amount of conversation in here too, so, good call. Thank you.